Shall we? We shall. <laughs> yes. Stunning. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Generation the Podcast, the audio companion to the HBO Max original series, Generation. I'm Wembley Sewell, editor-in-chief of Them. And I am Gigi Good, local legend exhausted from pride. Today, we're talking to Zelda Barnes, co-creator of Generation, Chase Sweet Wonders, who stars as Riley, and series writer Shar White. But let's start by talking about episode 14. Miss Wembley, give us oh, a recap. Let's. Well, I knew when the episode began with what I imagine as a Furby, I knew I knew <laughs> yeah. that it was going to be a dark one. Um did you imagine No, that? I don't think I imagined it, but I, I haven't seen one in so long that I figured that I maybe was conjuring it myself. But again, got the sense, got the sense it was going to be quite the wild episode. I mean, where we are is like we're seeing what I think has been a build of agita and anxiety and just underlying tension for the mm-hmm. character that is Riley. Hello, Chase. Hello. Everyone I think is like pretty much trying to help Riley at this point. Sam is trying to help. Greta is trying to help. But like Riley is coming for everyone. Definitely dealing with a lot at home. Mm -hmm. Actually is kind of pinballing around the entire town. Trying to find, I think, connection with, with anyone. Ultimately ends up at Nathan and Naomi's home. But yeah, I think this episode really does center Riley um, in a way that brings up some really important conversations about um, mental health in general, and I can't wait to dig into that a little bit today. I would love to start by welcoming Zelda back to the show. Zelda, it's wonderful to have you. Hi, so fun to be here. We also have the gorgeous, talented Chase Sweet Wonders once again. How is it going? Hello, guys. So happy to be here. <laughs> and last but absolutely not least, Shar White, pleasure to have you back. So good to be back, you guys. Thank you. So let's just jump right in and start with this downward spiral of (laughs) Miss Riley. So Riley has this really slow, diffused breakdown over the course of this episode that's very hard to watch. And I'm curious, Chase, how you prepared to portray this, because you really had to portray a lot of different, very specific emotions and scenarios that maybe potentially this character hadn't felt before, maybe potentially you hadn't felt before. So I'm curious if you did any studying on mental health symptoms or anything of that sort to kind of prepare for this very well done spiral you, <laughs> of yours. Gigi. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I, I had sensed it kind of coming for a while. And as soon as we got the script, I saw Shar on set the next day and I like screamed at him from across the parking lot. Like, <laughs> like bowing down to him, like thank you for this <laughs> gift of an episode. <laughs> but it was definitely, you know, I've, I feel like a lot of uh, actors have this kind of similar pattern where you have this really like meaty scene coming up or or in this case, it was an episode and it, it kind of uh, plays with you a little bit because you're kind of building it up in your head. So it was definitely kind of that sense. And I, I feel like I was almost, I almost leaned into that sort of anxiety and mania of this like upcoming journey I was about to go on as, as a method of embodying that sort of spirit. And Daniel sat me down. I, I went over to the Barnes's house, uh, um, before we started shooting and we kind of just had, which I love, it was great. It was, it was, and we just talked through like all the minutia of, 
Riley's trauma, essentially, and my own trauma as well. It just, I, we, we were just like exchanging stories of like what it, what it's like to feel this very high school kind of specific sense of isolation, this isolation from your parents and the anxiety that that builds when you feel like you can't, you're not seen and you also don't want to be seen because if you let people see you, then there's a risk that they're going to hurt you. All those emotions just like churning throughout. It definitely was for me the most immersive episode in that the lines were really blurred in between what I was, what I was feeling and what, what Riley was feeling. No kidding. I mean, Riley's got a very, very specific situation that not many high schoolers have and that, you know, she's kind of been, she's kind of shut herself out from her family for good reason, it seems. And her mom is kind of losing her mind. Her dad is brought in this girlfriend who's now living with her and her mom. And it's it's just like, I like, no wonder. Mania is the perfect word. I mean, it's just manic, manic, manic. And there's no real way around it other than to just shut it out and run away. And I feel like part, I mean, part of like Riley's personality trait that I, I really connect with is like, if you face this tragedy with like extreme bravery like the way that Riley sees bravery is like I will not tell anyone about this and because mm-hmm. I can handle this and I have right. I have a grasp on this and if if I show anyone this weakness I lose and I it, so I I won't and I will hold it in because I can handle it and I can move past it it's it's a kind of embittered state of like yeah. I've been on my own for so long I don't need anybody I, <laughs> yeah. and it's I mean it's, it's really it's really unhealthy and it obviously it obviously catches up to her but I think it's kind of a universal kind of feeling of like I I can I can bear this cross and this is my cross to bear and maybe part of this is like my fault and it's not you know it's that she I think she kind of blames herself too mm-hmm. like you know I'm I'm the reason that you know my my parents are splitting at the seams like I Ugh. and you know she's 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 just completely absorbing in herself so going like so internal like that was like such a such a journey and also just the way it's filmed too like that yeah it's it kind of situates you like behind riley's eyeballs in such an intense way you say the word immersive and i think that feels so real like there's almost like a you feel like you're right there with you you know i feel like there's so many extreme close-ups where it's like just your face and like we kind of like see you you're so close to us we feel you there's also this almost like kind of blurry, out of focus, a lot of rack focuses in this, where I think it also speaks to how Riley engages with reality at this point or how it's being skewed just by way of how it's how it's kind of filmed. And I also think that what we're seeing is a change in, in Riley's relationship to photography, too. Like, I think the way that she's shooting is also, you know, a reflection of, of where she is. And and I'm I'm curious, like how you think that function of her own point of view and her photography is is coming to life in this in this episode i'm glad you picked up on that because a new the director who's incredible and just was so so dedicated to this point of view her and i talked a lot about how like the her riley's camera becomes 
like her teddy bear almost. Mm-hmm. And there's that scene um, where all the stewards are fighting and it's kind of triggering this like this broken this idea of a broken family for Riley and she's like inching towards her camera and she's clutching it and it's it is kind of a way to like halt reality mm-hmm. and like freeze it and distance herself from it and completely kind of you know see it through this lens that she can control and yeah. she can right. and is like almost fabricated and is she's like blocking out the noise and and turning it into you know this like still shot of something that like she'd rather see in my mind obviously like the show is there's such incredible cinematography that comes comes with every single episode but i think that this was one of the most uniquely shot ones and even though i know we're not here sitting with with the dp or anything like chase given your yeah. film background like how <laughs> how do you think right now in in this episode that the cinematography is kind of pushing riley's story forward too i love it so much and and your own Orbach, who's the who's the DP on this episode, is so talented. And I asked him one time, like, "What's what's your favorite shot that you've ever gotten?" Mm. And he's like, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't. I just feel like if I'm looking at the actor and they're they're doing their job, and I just have a shot of the actor's face, that's that's all I need." And he he he's a big fan of John Cassavetes. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but. It's that same sort of like very immersive, unchained camera that's totally handheld and is really just so attuned to like the 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 emotions of of the person who who's on screen. So mm-hmm. I feel like that that immersion is so nice. And our camera operators, Orlando and Eduardo, were so were so like emotionally attuned, like. They could be like slipping off, off, off like some ledge, and they would like they would still get the shot because they were just so in touch. Like the, the there was like a perfect node connecting like mm. the actor's emotional trajectory and them, and <laughs> yeah, and the, also like the in and out of focus that you're talking about, Wembley. I think that totally gives that sort of like sensory, like half asleep, half awake, mm. sort of immersive experience. Zooming in on little details, like when when you're so tired, like that, you're all of a sudden your brain like like melds to like weird random details, like the like the chewing of the gum and yeah, uh, yeah all those little sensory experiences. I think really put you situate you in Riley's POV. Well, kind of going off of that, um, Zelda and Shar, I want to talk a little bit about what you put into the script to create the effect of Riley's sleep deprivation. Something that I really loved about this episode was really being able to dive fully into just um, a singular POV, which mm-hmm. which I yeah. had, you know, which I had three seasons of, uh, of experience with on on the affair, you know, and it's something we hadn't we'd done so much story jumping and timeline jumping in previous episodes. So, a the ability to really do a deep dive with Riley, and of course, like with with you know, Chase, who's so, like, vastly talented in terms of having the camera read her internal monologue, which which is such a difficult thing to do. But but we, we all knew that, like, Chase was the amazing vehicle for this singular <laughs> POV. And, you know, and so, I mean, so much of it is really, is really in the writing, making it really clear. I mean, we almost, 
exclusively led with almost every sentence with Riley does this, Riley sees this, right? You know, we're, we're sort of like keep the POV really tightly in Riley's perspective so that even when dialogue is happening around her, we're doing as much description as we possibly can mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the action lines to make it clear that she's there, but she's barely hearing things or... You know, we're even we're even in the action lines within her her emotional life and describing the emotional life as the as the dialogue is happening outside of her. Also, kind of the fun thing that we play around with a lot with POVs in this show, um, but specifically in this episode, if we're in a character's perspective and they don't hear something or they're not listening to something, then the audience won't really hear it or listen to it either. And with Riley, that's very clear in this episode. I think there's a lot of moments where she's kind of focused on something else, not fully paying attention, and she'll hear kind of like blurry sounds in the background, but she won't actually be cognizant of like what's going on. Um, And that is partially, of course, due to sleep deprivation. We also see a lot of moments where her eyesight is kind of blurring a little bit, and we get that effect with the camera as well. Yeah, there were a lot of like little touches that we considered when it came to like um, portraying Riley's sleep deprivation and also just general state of mental health. Yeah, and I mean, Anu, our director, was just, she's just so superb in terms of how she storyboarded the whole episode. And, and you know, our tone meetings around it were were really, were really in depth, you know. And I think, like, w- one of Anu's incredible, many incredible talents is, is being able to really string the emotional life, attaching it to the camera work scene by scene by scene in, in a way that's, that's really that's really profound, you know? So, so we definitely had a lot of communication about, about again, um, Riley's super tight POV all the way through this episode with Anu too. Me watching the whole time, I was just thinking like, okay, when is she going to fall over? Like, when is she going to hit the fan? Yes. And you know oh what I mean? God. Like, I was like, I, I like, I cannot, I don't care who's calling me right now. I, the mailman is knocking at the door right now, but I need I'm to just out here saying like, I don't know if it's possible to have a panic attack for someone, but I want, like, I almost I there, I was like, <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, girl, let me take this because it just needs to happen. So we can like, I'll get, I'll take your attack I, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Take my my, my yeah. panic attack, please. <laughs> Desperate for that. No, I I I watched it with my with my family, and that was really uncomfortable because it was it's almost like it was almost worse than having them watch like a sex scene because I'm like, okay, now you are 100 percent like you are seeing talk about vulnerable. Yeah, so like yeah. you are seeing like the depths of my my mental health, like in in a way, and, and or like certain aspects of it. So yeah, that was really weird, and like everyone was just like quiet, and like, like <laughs> you're everyone just could, like, like hear each other breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like having a panic attack on the couch, like trying not to make side eyes at my mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like Anu and I had this uh, really cool shorthand of. I, I don't know if you guys have seen Magnolia, but Julianne Moore has like this crazy manic scene at the drugstore where she, she's like screaming at the guy over the counter and clearly just like taking all her anger out of this like innocent guy uh, behind the drug counter. And and she, we just like discussed that the whole time of like this girl like on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And like even when she's riding in the car with the random, that random. Uh, oh, that, that was horrifying. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
As someone yeah, who can't horrifying. drive, famously can't drive, <laughs> according to this uh-huh. podcast, it's terrifying. <laughs> that was the most fun scene to shoot. That uh, that was so. Oh my like, god. Yeah, it was such a thrill. But it was like Riley putting on this persona so she can, you know, escape, Take control, escape yeah. her own. She's going to be this like, exactly. Well, Chase, I have to say like one of my one of my favorite moments was being a, like after you guys had shot that scene and you were with sound and you were just like you were doing you were feeding wild track and and you were saying what was that line from the. Didn't anyone ever tell you not to get in the car with strange girls? (laughs) Hang on. So Chase Chase does this line, what did you do? 15 different versions of it? Like in all these different ways, but like everything that you were channeling there, um, you know, especially, and I'd heard, I'd heard about the fact that you were referencing a lot of stuff from Magnolia. It was just, it was a delight to watch you just like stand there and like feed take after take after take into the, into the boom. It was, it was really great. I love that. Yeah. I remember that, Char. I'm glad you remember that. Yeah. I was like, I don't even know if I would get in the car with Riley like on Bitch, a good I day. Would. Like, can't no. be. <laughs> Let's no go way. for a drive. I, mean, I would. Obviously, I would. But like, yeah. can, can, you'd be scared. This was Thrill. established. Yes, I don't know that I could, you know, make it through. We're talking about episode 14 of the HBO Max series Generation. And we're going to get into a lot more after a quick break. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We're talking to Generation creator Zelda Barnes, series writer Shar White, and Chase Wee Wonders, who stars as Riley. I'm sure y'all know what I'm going to want to talk about, and it's that big Riley and and Greta fight. So let's get that clip rolling. She could have asked me uh, before she told everybody about it, especially after I literally told her how much everything sucks for me right now. I, I told her all of that. Sucks? Like, in what way exactly? In so many ways that you don't know about. Yeah, no, I mean, like, what? Stuff I don't want to tell you. Okay, so more than your mom taking away your pool house or whatever? What the fuck is wrong with you? I just don't get it. I just don't. Like, my aunt gets you a job and she takes you in out of the kindness of her heart and you get mad because she won't lie for you? So now you're freaking out at me about nothing at all, again. Because I think I was pretty fucking cool about that whole loose thing. Oh, yeah? Do you? There's just so much built-up frustration that I think kind of just, like, explodes in this scene. And I would love to hear from all of you, Chase, Zelda, Char, what you feel like they're both of them are saying and not saying and what this kind of means for their relationship based on where Riley is in, in her mental state. Yeah, I definitely think that Riley kind of interprets that last moment where um, Greta says like, oh yeah, do you think you handled the lose thing well? I think Riley panics thinking that Greta maybe knows about the Riley and lose hookup. But what I think Greta really means is just like, 
even if you weren't cool with it, it's kind of none of your business. And I think there's just a lot of miscommunication happening in their relationship in general, but especially in this scene. Um, And I do think that Riley lashing out is kind of her trying to reach out in a way. And I think that she wants Greta to kind of help her in this situation. And I think Greta's a little bit like, no, you're being kind of an asshole. And that just kind of hurts Mm. Riley more. So much of this, too, in terms of Riley's arc through through this season vis-a-vis Greta, they had this really incredible experience in the first eight episodes, you know, which they were really falling in love. And 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 then there's this experience in the hotel room that that comes close to sex. And then there's this inexplicable rejection. And Riley has been living with this rejection throughout this second half of the season. And so much of what's happening with her is what happened? What is wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? You know, it's it's deeply confusing for her. And and we're also telling the story of of you know of Greta actually being deeply confused by it also. So there's 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 just there's an inability to actually articulate what's happening on Greta's part. Riley also thinks she's crazy because she she thinks something yeah. was happening, you know? And then the like the the door was shut on it and she doesn't have any answers. And so in terms of Greta, it you know, who suddenly switches her affections to this other girl. It's like, what what the fuck is going on here? And and that's so much of what's underlying this this conversation. But then on top of it, you know, something that's really that people don't really understand about having a mentally ill parent is that is how isolating it is because you really can't you really can't explain it. You know, people everybody says, Oh, my mom is crazy, oh my dad is crazy. But you know, Riley is the daughter of two narcissists, you know, her mother is having a, a mental breakdown. And the exchange about the pool house is so hurtful because to, uh, to the outside world, yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like, you know, rich girl Riley loses her pool mm-hmm. house boo- boohoo. But what's really happening here is this is this wholesale rejection on the part of her parents and her desperate need for belonging and her desperate need for parental care. And nobody's there to provide it. And she can't articulate that yet. She's not going to be able to articulate that for 20 years, do you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the way she's learned to communicate is like, it's like coping mm-hmm. mechanism like 101 when she said when she says to Greta like well, it's stuff I don't want to tell you and she says that as as a way to almost convince herself like you don't you do you can't get into my brain like you don't phase me I I therefore I cannot be hurt by you because I don't want to tell you this stuff that is so close to my core but obviously you know the coded text there is like of course Riley is coming to to Greta and 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 like saying this in, in the worst method possible but because she wants Greta to see her like she ha- like she knows Greta has seen her in the past and and is the only real real character with within this world that Riley f- feels like you know she's been able to lay herself bare to so her saying you know st- a lot of stuff's going on with me stuff I don't even want to tell you is like a totally defense mechanism but also just like so desperate. And that's, I mean, that feels like the oldest trick in the book. You know, like, obviously, if you're talking yeah. to a friend and you're like, I can't tell you, then that's when the friend goes, well, now you have to tell me, you know. so Like, there is a part of Riley that exactly. said that, <laughs> hoping that Greta would press more and want to know more, more. But then yeah. Greta's just, you know, pissed off on her own terms. Mm-hmm. 
I want to zoom out again on the show more broadly because I think from episode one, when we first, you know, were sitting down and talking, like the show as a whole has always been so amazing in terms of how it deals with addressing stigmas of any kind. And I want to know from all of you, like how how you think as a whole the show really addresses uh, and aims to address uh, mental health broadly, depression, anxiety, um, I think narcissism, that, you know, like even like radicalism, I think even a little bit. Um, I'm curious what you think or how you would kind of sum up the general show POV in terms of addressing mental health. What do you think, Zelda? I mean, it was pretty, it's pretty tough in the room. I mean, we had a lot of really intense discussions because you don't, you don't really want anything to be about mental health. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's as soon as you as soon as you say that, you think like, well, how can we build narrative where mental health is is present and is affecting our characters, uh, you know, and yet we're not we're not making it, uh, uh, you know, it's it's more of a supporting circumstance than it is. It's not clinical, you know, um, like a clinical. It's not clinical <laughs> exactly. We so we definitely didn't want to get into anything clinical, uh, you know, any of that stuff. I think just like mm-hmm. really, really made us nervous. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't know how you feel, Zelda, but I feel like I feel like there was a lot of work that we put into just sort of building this web of circumstances in which you know, the mental health of of the various characters, you know, really acts upon all the other characters in a way that that did stay away from being clinical, which was which was important to avoid for us, you know. Our main goal, obviously, always with the show is just to kind of depict genuinely real things that teenagers are genuinely really struggling with. And I think that oftentimes mental health is a really big part of that. And so we did want to show a character who was going through some difficulties with her own mental health, um, specifically triggered by really difficult family situations, which I know is something common in a lot of my friends, something that I've seen a lot in people my age. And I think it was really important to us to kind of just show Riley going through this and going to this kind of dark place. And then we wanted to show her kind of figuring it out. It was just important to us in the writer's room to make it feel real and keep it from getting too clinical, definitely. And I think that Riley is somebody who doesn't really feel comfortable talking to her parents and telling her parents like, hey, I think I need to see a therapist. Like, I don't think her parents are the type of people who would be very understanding of that. So I think that for her, this is something that she at the moment feels like she has to kind of get through alone, Mm. which is also why it's so difficult for her to talk to Sam. Yeah, and I think I think so much of a so, so much of a hallmark of of anxiety and and depression too is that is that you know you're you're in a hole and you don't even know that you're in a hole. You're so deep in the hole that you don't know you're in it. I think that's kind of the story of Riley here is that is that she's in a really precarious position and of course that's covered with I'm fine, mm-hmm. I'm okay. <laughs> it's you. Get the fuck away from me. You know everything everything that you do do and and so for me the most touching moments of of this story are are when people recognize her. You know when people recognize what's happening to her um uh, which is so moving you know it's it's this it's this real gift this character doesn't is asking for help but doesn't know that she's asking for help and there are very few people who are really able to recognize um that ask yeah and i think i think another thing that like there's a show on a wider scope does so well is well the Barneses have always talked about the link this link between Chester and Riley and how they are two people who put up a 
a really like solid front uh, and an air of confidence and, and coolness and yet have this like core of of loneliness that ripples through through them and it kind of not to generalize generalize about Gen Z, but I feel like Gen Z has does have way more devices than previous generations in terms of talking about mental health. But it's almost like these big umbrella terms like anxiety and depression are tossed around almost so freely that that people have these kind of categories and boxes that they sort you into, and and the root never doesn't always get discussed among friends because you know when you're like i have depression and riley has a moment in episode 15 with with naomi's character where she's like now that i have anxiety or whatever can i have a weed gummy and it's just like yeah that's just a chill thing to say like yeah i've got crippling anxiety give me a weed gummy and it's a joke (laughs) and 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 there's a certain like understanding and camaraderie among like Gen Z, but but at the same time, there's like a much deeper core that you really get to in 14. Through all of Riley's anguish and um, anxiety, it feels like viewers are having to consider different approaches to addressing mental health, i.e. the gummies. Or, uh, you know, in a previous episode, we compared Sam and Anna's strategies for offering Riley help. And now... Megan has um, let let out a hand um, to Riley, and I just want to play that clip really quick. Sometimes I have this feeling like I'm looking at myself from the outside in. Do you ever have that feeling? Because everyone has anxiety. No. Not everyone has it the same. How about this one? Would you rather be able to change the future or the past just by imagining it? I mean, I I really get chills from that because it's it 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 Ugh. really brings a lot of things to the surface, I think for both characters and especially Megan because this shows Megan doesn't know Riley. Megan is not a close, you know, family friend to Riley necessarily, but it shows Megan's ability and I guess need for that parental role. And she and it shows that there there are she is a she is a good parent. It's really one of the rare glimpses we get into her effective parenting. So I just want to hear from all of you about bringing this side of Megan to the surface and the importance of bringing this side of Megan to the surface, I guess, at this point in the in the series. In the in the writer's room, we did talk a lot about this and Megan does have anxiety and it's not necessarily something that we explicitly say in the show, but there are little hints and it is something that is written into her character. And she, I think, really understands on some level what Riley is experiencing. And I think that that's shown so clearly in that question she asks at the end because would you rather be able to change the future or the past just by imagining it because I think that that's something that everyone with anxiety including myself kind of overthinks all the time like I'm constantly worrying about what will happen in the future and I'm also constantly like overthinking things that have already happened and it is just like I think that's something that shows Megan's understanding of what it feels like to kind of have anxiety. And I think that's kind of a way that she's reaching out to Riley to say, like, you are not alone here because I think Riley is feeling really alone. And I think that Megan really recognizes that in this moment. Chase, you have to know we were 
at the monitors while you guys were shooting this sobbing with every take. I mean, it's just, it's from, it's one of the most moving scenes for me. And, and I think what's really important here, I think for me, for, you know, for the writing of it is that mm. there's this, there's this kind of dual surrogacy happening. Do you know? I mean, Riley needs this parental figure, anyone to, to peer into her and say, I see you, do you know? And, and likewise, Megan so deeply needs a child who can accept without complication this sort of like this yearning that she has to care and to love and to give without all of these other like, yeah. you know, things that she struggles to understand, do you know? And so, and so for me, there's this moment is this real pure moment of, of just like need and recognition and desire for connection that that both of them needs so so badly and i mean that's that's what's so moving for me it was such a powerful film to shoot because it was like exactly what you're saying char it's like it's so simultaneously tragic and so like hopeful because it's just these two characters that have struggled to connect with so many people in their own respective lives and yet they're able to try out this relationship and just kind of clear out all the baggage and see what it would be like to have this like uncompromised like child and parent relationship. I feel like I have chills like ending on on that note. I think it was a really beautiful <laughs> note to end on. I'm I feel like I'm leaving this conversation with with some new things to implement in my own my own life. Me too. Um, but I just have so much gratitude for y'all joining us. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Zelda, Char, and of course Chase for being here. Thank with you us. guys so much. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. it yeah thank y'all i just i love how passionate you all are about this and it just makes me and the audience love it that much more so thank you so much for joining us and um we are here every single week giving you the exclusive takes and deep dives into the making of your favorite television program generation thank you guys thanks you guys bye y'all great to see you chase so good to see you Sean. i'll see you all soon bye Generation the Podcast is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by us, Gigi Good and Wembley Sewell. The podcast is produced and written by Phoebe Unter, written and researched by Sierra Kaiser, and engineered, edited, and mixed by Matt Stillo. It's executive produced by Ethan Fixell. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed Generation the Podcast, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, be sure to watch the series itself on HBO Max. Thanks for listening.